Welcome to another edition of Michael L. Quiver presents the beautiful quiet of the evening. It's 1.25 a.m. August 19th as I begin this episode. I hope that everybody's been doing well out there. I've received quite a few emails and things since the last <laughs> several episodes. And uh, it's been an interesting summer, that's for sure. So let's get this episode off on the right foot. things that I find in the musical community. That is a song called Mind Your Manners by Chitty Bang, but I cannot remember if that came from the real world. It, maybe it's a Jersey Shore theme. It's one of those MTV shows where they would play these, you know, obscure tunes that I would never hear anywhere else. And I thought it was kind of interesting, lyrically anyway. I thought, let's have an episode where we have We'll have dinner together. Are you eating dinner? You're, you're driving. You're working. Maybe you got your earbuds in like I do. Last night that I worked, we concluded the pedometer. We concluded our step counting at uh, over 41,000 steps. That was a 21-hour workday. Well, Michael, 21. That's right. I don't believe in breaks and lunches, so I'll let you... Gasp for air and maybe you'll take a swig of water for me out there somewhere. <laughs> I think I drank four liters of Dr. Pepper. I ate a, a couple of uh, just peanut butter on honey wheat bread. And then um, I want to tell you I ate a different snack, like maybe a cookies and cream uh, candy bar or something just to, you know. My eyes were, they were playing games with me, but my body didn't want to go to sleep. It's like my my eyes are like, oh, I've been awake too long. So it's like I need to shut my eyes to, to get the liquid over my pupils and, and get everything refreshed and then just keep on walking because mentally I'm not ready to just like sit down and fall asleep. But that's a craver thing. It's For generations it has been. My grandfather died just like that, sitting in his chair watching the TV, just you know, his aneurysm burst in his chest, but... You know, we they found him after he'd been there for several hours watching TV in the afternoon. And sometimes he'd take a nap and get up for dinner, and they went to wake him up for dinner. And he didn't, you know, we all, <laughs> and I think everybody thought that was the most peaceful and, and the best way he could possibly go. So, um, yeah, and, and, and that'll be, that'll be me one day. Just, you know, fall asleep wherever. My mother has pictures all throughout the family photo albums like that. Here's this kid who's uh, falling asleep on a bench on the floor with his elbows underneath his chin, laying on his stomach watching TV in these contorted positions. 
her uh I don't know that there's a photograph of this. There might be. She said the the scariest one she ever experienced was <laughs> that I crawled. My father built this toy box and it was uh probably four feet long and three or four feet high. It was it was essentially a rolling wooden crate. And so um, we just, you know, we put the toys in there, stuffed animals, if we had, you know, battleships, whatever it was. And uh, as the story goes, I had climbed over the edge, crawled into the toy box, and buried myself up to my neck. And my mother was looking for me, and she saw my head laying there in the toy box and thought somebody hit you. Oh, my God, somebody, you know, like they had jihadded me or something. And uh, I was Michael Antoinette there for a little bit. Just... Oh, off, off with his head. I was watching Bill and Ted the other day where I think that's, um, oh, is it King Edward? I didn't want, I skipped around during the movie because I was, I had it on my computer where you can, I can just use the seat bar. But, uh, how's it going, royal ugly dudes? And he's talking shit with it. And the king's going to kill him. Off with the heads. So, yeah, mom was thinking that I was, uh, decapitated. And then somebody just left my head uh, uh, in the toy box um, for me to be found. And I thought, Mom, you you got watched some different content on TV or whatever. Like I don't even want to. Why are you? Why are you? These things coming to mind, right? That shouldn't be something you even imagine. But um, I, I've quite enjoyed the idea that you know I can just fall asleep wherever here and there, but. Quite frankly, the idea that I am um, unable to fall asleep is is kind of haunting me at this point. I worked um, overnight Monday to the tune of uh, over 16 hours. I got maybe four hours of sleep on Monday, four and a half, something like that. And... Um, I went in Tuesday, um, and I worked from, uh, like 6 p.m. start time till almost 11 a.m. It was almost 17 hours, but I couldn't sleep. I was just, I don't know, I just wasn't ready, and so I, I came home, I took a shower to change clothes, um, even though I was already working and, and sort of, um, you know, I'd already soiled my clothing, uh, with sweat, not with, mm-hmm, I, um, Took off, went to the rescue mission, and, and volunteered there until they closed at 3 p.m. and um, and had a big time with uh, some new people there as well. I mean, it's a revolving program. The rescue mission is a is a wonderful guide for people who've been, you know, divorced or they've lost their home, they've lost um, the ability to to really you know be independent. And so that it's a non-denominational, but it's a program where people can, you know, get work experience, get a job placement. They can technological classes and um, all kinds of things. So it was, it was good to, to get out of the house and do that. And then when I came home, I finally fell asleep for maybe just a couple of hours, really, on Wednesday. I was up most of the evening, most of the night. Um, went to breakfast with my father and uncles Thursday morning, and then... Um, Went and volunteered some more on Thursday. 
I love having the, the three days off, so that's a, it's been a great blessing. Um, however, um, I don't know. It's it's like I fight this this wild reality where I sleep in my bed and I I, I stay in my bed during the days that I work. I'm awake uh, for a little bit to get some food, uh, restroom, clean up, grooming, all that, right? And then sleep and then get up, dressed, out of the door, go work, twelve hours, sixteen, seventeen hours, whatever it is. Come back. Food, hygiene, bed, sleep, wake up, go back to work. And that's, that happens for four days. And so on my off days, I don't go into the bedroom much. I mean, I'll change clothes, take a shower, whatever. But I'll end up sitting in my office chair like I am now recording this. And I'll enjoy, you know, a show or a movie or writing or otherwise. You know, I got out of the house, did a bunch of handyman stuff. I hope you guys out there are doing something with your energy. You know, I, I took and hung some pictures, which I've done many, many times for different people, and I try to come up with a good scheme and a good mathematical uh, formula to, to streamline things. I had, um, it wasn't complicated, but essentially somebody had a cabinet on the wall, two rows of pictures, four pictures long. Some of the hooks on the pictures were in different places on the back of the frames, and so I took and I took the length of the wall from the cabinet to the doorway, divided that. Um, after I, I reduced it by like thirty percent on each side, and then divided that into increments of the four pictures, with a four-inch space in between, a four-inch space vertically between. And so now I have a grid. Now I have up and down, left and right. And there's four inches between the top picture and the bottom picture. There's four inches between every picture, left to right. Equal amount of space between the cabinet and when the pictures start. Equal amount of space from when the pictures end and the door begins. All right. Then we have to do a little bit of um, funny math to, to figure out where the uh, screws are going to go behind the pictures so that they hang evenly because the mounting brackets on the back of the pictures were at, at varying places. But it was fun. And, and then afterwards, um, the way that I touch it up is I hang all the pictures and I take a level hold it in hold it by my fingertips press the level somewhat down on the picture to make sure it's secure on the nail or the screw and the picture's balanced now all the pictures are balanced now my job is done and it's a good time i love to be able to get my tools out and do stuff whether it's adjusting a door pictures if it's doing some of the electrical work i need to hang a fan and do some other things um which i might do tomorrow with my brother but uh I hope that people out there look at themselves in the totality of society and say, you know that guy who hung my ceiling fan? You know, do you think you were um, intellectually or, you know, with practical skills, are you on the same level as him? Then why don't you learn to hang the ceiling fan? Why is somebody else doing something that, you know, you could be doing? Why are you paying somebody else to do it or, you know, leaning on somebody else to do something like that? It's nice to, to give somebody a position, a job, a you know, a sense of purpose, and, and you're delivering that. But if you could provide for yourself and those other elements of um, appreciation are not in place, then by all means, learn it and do it for yourself. Probably could have had somebody else light my cigar. Nope. It's going to be me. I enjoy uh, being able to add things to my skill set. I don't add much to my toolbox anymore. 
even though I see tools all the time that I could use, might need eventually, like one day, right? They'll be on sale or something. And these useful words, not haunting words, but useful words from my father come to mind. He said, you know, anything you buy, you're just going to have two of. Any kind of tools you need, they're in my shop. Come borrow them. You know, basically all that will be mine one day kind of thing. And I've told my sons the same kind of thing. I think that's a community kind of um, mindset. You know, I tell the people, with, in, I have a locker where I'm employed, right? I keep, a there's a bag that's probably got three or four pounds of saltwater taffy left in it, a jar of double bubble um, that came out of a big bucket. I keep that, it's an old village candle or a Yankee candle or whatever it was where I baked all the, the wax out of it and turned it into a storage jar, right? So now there's bubble gum in there. There's saltwater taffy in my locker. Seems like there's probably some extra gum or something like that as well. And we um, just, you know, I leave it for the guys. Hey, if you want some, grab some, you know. Make it a habit. I don't care. Take all, it, And literally, if somebody would use it and took the whole bag, I would not feel ill toward them. But the people around me take you know, what they can use at the time, maybe one or two they put in their pocket, and they move on. And it's a wonderful sense of uh, brotherhood kind of thing. And they do the same thing with me sometimes. But I, I appreciate that kind of stuff. I think that's true with you know real men who have like carpentry and other practical handyman skills. Hey... I need something done. Um, need some flooring done. Yeah, we can do that. I was listening to my uncle talk about um, redoing the flooring in his beach house. And he was saying how um, <laughs> somebody had volunteered my father for it. And my dad said, oh yeah, oh yeah. He said... So-and-so said you guys could go down and do the floor at night and play golf during the day. And he said, mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I just thought, it's a bartering system, right? Imagine that uh, you could uh, have your practical skills and somebody who has an Airbnb sits back and they, um, they say, hey, um, you can stay at the Airbnb for free. If you'll go down there and fix the sink or something like that. You know, they would have paid. Now, follow me here. They would pay a plumber or somebody else $100 or so or, or like, you know, an, an average visit, being three figures, right, for uh, any kind of service for people to come out there. Now, if you're going to argue that those people will provide a warranty, they should be insured, bonded, etc., I understand that part. That's a good argument. But if you said, hey, you know, you could stay at my place if you'll go fix this sink for, you know, the parts are down there, you know, just make sure you tighten it up and use the plumber's tape and, you know, silicone this and that and caulk this and you know, whatever the job calls for, right? And you can stay at the place for free. Use the hot tub, you know, go have some dinner in town or something, whatever. But one night for free on, on me in exchange for your services. That's all I'm going to pay you. I'm not going to give you $100, but I'm going to trade one stay and, and you um, 
what is it? Is that called sweat equity, I believe is the term, whenever you can negotiate that into a space where um, you're going to do the work, so they they knock that amount off of the selling price or the rental price or something of that nature. If you do the work, then they consider that sweat equity, and, and they don't charge you for the work you're going to do. They would have had to pay somebody else. So instead of the money going out the right side and you paying in the left side, you do the work on the left side, and they just take it off the balance. And I think that's a good um, system. I don't know that it guarantees the quality of the work. Obviously, that's that's a whole different discussion uh, to have. It's something to consider. But I like the idea of that. That you know you're bringing something to the table. It's a conversation I've had with with many folks over the course of time. You know, if you're going to be in a relationship. You know, what do you bring to the table? Not just to have a relationship for the fa- the sake of the family dynamic or otherwise, but what are your, you know, contributing factors that you have to offer? In fact, um, I may have it written. I had, I had written a sentence, and I think I was trying to come up with the, the more perfect wording or something. <laughs> to be honest, I, excuse me, I hit record on the podcast and I wrote this a long time ago and I, I have no idea the way that it's written here. So it's going to, it's going to be a surprise to me reading it here in the light of the computer monitor at two o'clock in the morning. Let's see. Um, where is it written at? How, how, oh, that, that's the, the way I asked the question, I think. Um, how would a relationship improve my life? And I think that's what I came down to. I was asking myself the same question about uh, career advancement, um, going higher than I am in, in my professional career, or, you know, what somebody else might be looking at in terms of a housing upgrade. I've thought about maybe, you know, building something on some land that I have. and Like, okay, well, how is that any different than the life I have now? And what what's the improvement in that? What's the, the risk versus reward in having your friendship, your relationship with me? You do the service for me instead of somebody else. Why are you the best choice? Why is that the uh, superior direction to take? And I think that there are very um, good points to make. Oh, well, you know, if you have two people in a household, that's double the money coming in, budget, et cetera, et cetera. It creates a lot of freedom and a lot of uh, opportunities for you to be able to uh, enhance your ability to travel the world or, you know, have peace of mind, security, comfort, you know, all of those kinds of things. You don't have anything to worry about. Now, I know there's another side of the, the tradition being that if you have children, you're mate um under that model would maybe stay home raise the kids you know oh well you know i'm looking for a man who can take care of me because you know i'll be the the person who cleans the house and i'll have food ready and this and this and this i thought well that's just a matter of scheduling why you could have food ready if you got off before your partner man or woman you you have dinner ready or you know at least lay it out and you cook the meal together why is that a thing? You could pay somebody a nominal amount of money. Maybe what it costs me or what I get paid by the hour, two people could eat, go out to eat. 
So you take the whole day off and then, yeah, I would clean the house, whatever. Well, I don't, I throw my clothes directly into the washer or dryer. I'm, you know, everything is clean. It stays maintained. I don't get it dirtier than any um, cleaning session would take. I, uh, how do I say this sentence in a way that's efficient? My home is never so dirty that cleaning it would take more than 25 minutes. And that includes like scrubbing bubbles and, and, and doing the bleach, or, you know, using any chemicals in small spaces. I would set a fan up, I'd turn it on, and then we're going to scrub down the bathroom. We're going to uh, wipe up baseboards. We're going to maybe do the floor. We're going to, you know, take, doing clothes and stuff takes no time at all. You throw it into the machine, a Tide Pod, maybe. You know, you use a fabric softener or otherwise, or you know, but whatever special treatment you have, it takes a few extra moments, seconds. You transfer it from one machine to the other, you hang certain things up, dry it, and then you fold it. But the machine does the work in the middle, so basically you're there at the beginning. It's like a drive-through. You're ordering it, and then you're paying for it, and then you're picking it up. And it's not that much more time involved, unless you just don't know how to you know, fold a towel or a blanket end to end, and sometimes I roll some clothes, sometimes I put things on hangers, and that's it. It's not complicated. I don't need you to do it, and I don't, I'm not saying I can't do it, or you should do it. It's, it's a household responsibility. You get two people together, maybe you're the person who takes out all the trash, you're the person who does this, but everybody should be able to do all of the skills so both people can run the household. If I'm away, if I'm hit by a bus, whatever that is, you are completely self-sufficient. What was said to me was, well, if two people get together, you know, and I'm still doing these things, I'm still doing 100% of the, and I thought, that's ridiculous. You're not going to have two rents, two power bills, two utilities, two internets, etc. It would cut your cost down by at least 50%. That's one of the reasons people get together, but it's one of the reasons people can't get out of those situations because then they start spending and drive credit and they buy a new car that takes up, you know, this amount of their income. And they're like, oh no, I can afford the new car if you're paying half the rent, but I can't leave because now the car takes up the money that I would have had to pay all of my independent rent so I can afford half a house and this car or I can get rid of the car and have my own place and I can be single again. So that, that creates this um, paradox. And it's one of those things, I think Bill Burr was talking about how, you know, when jobs promote people, some guy will make an extra dollar, $2 an hour, and then he'll start spending $1.50 an hour. You know, oh, I got a raise. Let's go buy a new car. Well, now they got you. Because now the guys see you with a new car in the parking lot, and they can tell you to do whatever they want to tell you to do because you are tied into that car loan for X amount of time. And uh, that's... It's a choice that a lot of people do not think fourth dimensionally about when they're able to spoil themselves, so to speak. They don't look at the servitude that's involved in that uh, negotiation. Hey, could you still afford this car if you know if you made a career change? Ooh, I don't know. Then I'd say that's a high risk transaction. Could you still afford this and that and the other if you were to lose your partner through whatever, right? Whether it's voluntary, whether it's, you know, natural causes, whatever reason, now you're single again. So 
are there things to consider? And you don't always have to act that way and be like overly cautious, but there's so many people who are overly cautious about everything to begin with. Oh, I don't talk to people about these subjects. I don't bring up politics and religion and this and that and the other. It's just a ridiculous way of looking at, at, the, at the world. If you don't delve into those subjects, um, you have these highly... Um, not is it unstable? You could, I guess, you could say unstable situations where now you've not covered this. What could be very like bitter, like lifelong grudge kind of context um, and content to your lives? You know, oh, you're with that person. Mm, they voted for Trump, mm. and then they, you know, it, and I don't know why it's like Duke versus Carolina versus NC State or. You pick your rivalry across the country, you know, Notre Dame or Army and Navy or whatever. So those are difficult situations that people often, they don't try to even, you know, tread those waters. They leave them, oh, I didn't know this about you. Well, we're married now, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we started dating was after the election, and it was uh, three more years we've been together. We've been married now. Now he's going to vote this way. Oh my God, I never knew. You know, <laughs> it, I wouldn't say that that's, you know, an above average in terms of the occurrence, how many times that, that thing happens. Is it common? I, I wouldn't think it's average. But I'm sure it happens. And it's one of those things that probably undermines the formula that makes the relationship work. It it creates a an uneasy um, rift, crack, fracture to the to the relationship. So, is there is there important things? It's time for a commercial break. I'll be back in a few. Don't go anywhere. John. Bree, any idea why we are in a fridge? Well, I'm Bree. Yeah, I'm John. I know, but you're John who? John Ham. So we're Bree and. Bree and ham. Ham and brie, I get it. And Hellman's. We're dinner. Well, with Hellman's, all these leftovers can be anything. Is that Pete Davidson? Uh-huh. He really is everywhere. I'm gonna eat you guys. You guys are really delicious. That's, that's weird. Hellman's brings leftovers to life. And we are back. So the question was, how would a relationship improve your life? Now, I want you to take that question... And apply it to other uh, networking pieces of your life. How would this friendship or um, otherwise be any kind of an addition to your life? Is it going to, you know, hey, I, Michael, you volunteered the non-profit and you do this and you do that and you yeah, that's my uh, schedule. It's full of these uh, things that I think uh, help with the community. Now, those things bring me balance because they release dopamine. It's a feeling of uh, gratification and recognition and recognizing others. It's my sense of self where the things that I bounce off of come back to me. Hey, how you doing? Fist bump. Boom. How you doing? How you doing? Why do you think you open the door for somebody else and it feels good? scientific thing it's a cultural thing so you could make those points about a relationship hey michael this is how a relationship would improve your life you'll release so much more dopamine 
well, wait a minute now. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Well, if you have someone who, you know, is, is looking out for you and they're, you know, uh, doing something around the house is a functional thing. But if look at it scientifically. And if you're going to measure it in terms of numbers, then look at the chemical reactions and um, other systems that are inside of your body. And so biologically, not just monetarily, not just with money, but in a health systems kind of way, if they hook you up to a biometric, if they run your blood work, if they otherwise say, man, you're such a a better guy now that you have involved yourself in these causes. Well, that's true if you involve yourself in a cause. It's true if you have a great friendship with someone. That in and of itself is is an amazing roller coaster of adventures, right? You find someone who you have a lot of negative stress with, obviously it can cause you to have health problems. But things that are rewarding... Someone who makes you smile, otherwise, could be someone who improves your health. And when they say improve your life, literally prolong, improve, enhance not only your quality of life, but your length of life. That's something to think about. Heavily consider. If you're wondering, hey, why should I do this and not be you know, on my own, etc. There's there's things that two people can do, one person can't do, and I don't need mean just, you know, lift something heavy. But obviously, if your systems fail and you can't reach your epipen, you know, let's say you're diabetic or otherwise, you know, this other person can take that pen and and uh, you know pull it out and penetrate you right in your thigh or you know what I guess there's different places you might stab somebody with an epipen. I'm I'm not well-versed in that stuff. I've had, you know, a few exposures to that kind of thing um, with minimal training, but no practical um, experience. Yes, here's this other person. They can operate a defibrillator. Oh. And those of you who are vernacularly challenged out there. That's a defibrillator. That's where they shock your chest. They do one up here, one down here, pull off the covers and call clear. And then they try to charge and get your heart back into the swing of things. I said that to somebody who thought it was a lie detector. I said, it's not a defibrillator. (laughs) It's not a Something from the aspect of being able to take their fibs away. Their fabrications. My favorite writing piece. Entowelment. It's a fabrication piece. I like the way that I've named some of that stuff too. I named the podcast Michael L. Craver Presents as if I wanted to ever spin off other varieties of things or if I wanted to start a podcasting empire. Michael L. Craver Presents, you know, Eugene and Larry and Jill and Jack and you know, the water pail, whatever. The the name of that piece that I wrote is, is called, it says fabrication, and then it's got a colon, and it says an entowelment. And uh, I always thought, well, that one's named fabrication and entowelment, but what if I wanted to write a different one about the, you know, a blanket or something else, right? I could write a whole other thing and have a variety of these... Um, linen-based <laughs> pieces of literature. And it would be, 
you could call it Leninger or something, right? It's not a, not a Soviet Union kind of Leninger. What are you talking about? This is America. No, 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 not not like Lenin and Stalin and you know Nicholas II kind of thing. I'm talking about writing a piece of literature about something that's Lenin. If it's bedcloths, if it's you know whatever it might be, fabrication. The pillowcase. Yeah, and then it. what was in the pillowcase? Could have been a gun. Maybe they robbed a bank, threw everything in the pillowcase. Maybe somebody moved out, put everything in a pillowcase. You know, I'm sure I could come up with some wild stuff. So here's this guy, and he used to work at a, you know, Goodwill, or he was at a Salvation Army, or somewhere they took donations or otherwise, right? Maybe he worked at a clothing manufacturing place, and so he purchased a big box of all the second or the... Um, imperfect pillowcases that they were going to throw out. And they said, well, we'll sell them to the employees at a discount. And that's what he stored everything in. Put everything in pillowcases instead of boxes or whatever, right? Now his whole life is in these little, you know, makeshift duffel bags. You could have some fun with it. Um, Especially if it was in like, if it was the Old West or something, you know, all all they had was pillowcases and they, they were robbing, I don't know, the wagon train or something, and they stole everybody's stuff. And they didn't have anything to carry it. They didn't have no saddlebags, so they wrapped it up in pillowcases and hung it across the horse, rode off into the distance. All the family heirlooms were in those pillowcases. Now they're going to get together a big posse and go hunt them people down. I don't care how many things you've watched on the internet. I don't care how many videos you've seen. Good, bad, explicit, whatever. you never seen a posse that big. They're going to hunt them guys down. Uh, but I, I like the idea that you can use a label and you can stretch it across um, different things. I'm, and, you know, Harry Potter has a series of books. And these people have series of, of things that they uh, make sequels or prequels. And, and then they spin off, you know, this character has a show. You better call Saul, but it's not Breaking Bad, you know. So, I think with relationships, you have these same abilities because of your resources. And you can say, oh, okay, so me and um, the wife over there have formed a partnership, and this is our brand. This is our fabrication. This is our uh, intellectual property. This is our marriage, really. And our relationship can now spin off these other things because I have the time or the resources or whatever. She frees up part of my budget, so I have money to invest in something else, to partake in a different hobby, to get you know that fishing pole I always wanted, whatever it is. And it, it, it does serve as an enabler for you to be able to do these things. If you've ever watched Intervention, you understand like the enabler is the person who is helping the addict to continue their behavior. Well, if they don't have a partnership, then they can't do those things. They rob, cheat, steal, whatever. But for the most part, what happens at the end of those intervention episodes was always that somebody's got a bottom line. I'm not going to let you live here anymore. If you don't clean up, we're throwing you out on the streets. I'll go to rehab. And that's, you know, how it ends up happening. And that's part of what a relationship can bring into your life is for somebody to help keep you accountable. You've clearly stated your goals and this and that and the other for that person. And now they can help you uh, maintain this reputation or this set of objectives that you're trying to accomplish. That's pretty important.
And one of the reasons that I had, I've posed that question to people in different situations and said, you know, you're, you're talking to me, I'm talking to you. What would having a relationship at all, let alone with you, do to enhance my life? And I never really hear a good answer. Not to the detail that I'm talking about with these extra... It's a supplemental thing. Michael, can you do it? Yes, I, everything I have is on auto pay. I put 20% of, of everything into retirement. Um, I do some nice things for other people. Every six or eight weeks, I'll feel like I need to do something for myself. So I made an Amazon purchase this week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bought a Sealy Pillow silk pillowcase and... Um, a four pack of eye drops because I've been because <laughs> I've been sleep deprived so much. I bought uh, a large quantity of, of eye drops to keep my eyes from being so red and irritated because I don't know that the insomnia is going to slow down. So I thought the least I could do is medicate it. Um, but the pillow was it was a silly whatever. I mean it was forty bucks or something. Nothing spectacular. Uh, and I, um, I bought a silk pillowcase cause my other one is the black silk pillowcase and it'll match. But the reality of it is that I didn't, um, I, I, I got another pillowcase and I got another pillow. I thought it would be interesting. Um, sometimes, um, especially with the way that I'm 41 and I'm, I'll turn 42 in April and. You know, so that question comes up, right? Are you an Aries or whatever? Yeah, I'm Aries. So, I didn't know you were going to have dinner with me, did you? I got this buffalo and ranch chicken sitting over here that I was my meal. I haven't eaten very much. But um, I bought that pillowcase and I, I. Did it come today is now Saturday morning at 2 18 a.m I think it came Wednesday I haven't slept in the bed since Wednesday it's been laying in the bed I've slept in my office chair the little amount of time that I've slept I think I laid actually my father excuse me was uh, doing a tribute to his um, cats that he's had he built his house I think 23 years ago and he's had six different cats who have had you know, the privilege of being buried under the, my favorite oak tree in the world in his field. And so um, to give them a grave marker, he poured these, he has these concrete forms. So what he has, four sides of Um, I think it's yellow pine. So he's got a square that is, I think, 14 inches in each direction. And the boards are uh, cut to an angle so that they go out and down. Almost like a, the bottom, like it, if you layered it upward, it would be a pyramid, right? So he... um. He told me what he was doing, so I went over and helped him. I, I loaded some concrete for him, and then um, to, he took it back home, and he mixed concrete, and then he poured it into these square forms where the edges are actually sloped slightly downward 
so that when you get you when you pour the concrete into the form, you can actually just lift the form up off of it because it's um, sloped upward. He pours the form uh, to have a square as the grave marker for each cat, and then he took golf balls because Dad loves golf and he's got a lot of golf balls. He, you know, when he goes and plays, he collects them if they find some in the wood or at the edge of the water or whatever it is, right? So he took golf balls and spelled out the initial of the cat: Baxter, Tiger, Maggie, Manny, Charlie, whatever, and. Um, after he made like the C for Charlie, he waited for it to dry for a while. So now you have a square for each cat, the initial of them in an outline of golf balls. And then he took a golf tee back over there and wrote their full name into the concrete. And that's, you know, that's what Dad did on uh, Thursday. So after I didn't sleep very much Wednesday, Thursday, I had eaten... Um, with my father and all of my uncles and then went out and, and did the um, volunteer thing. And I texted Dad and I was like, hey, I know you're going to be doing this project. Do you want some help? And he was like, well, I'm getting ready to start working on this stuff. And I sat down in the chair for just a second and I just, I passed right out for about 90 minutes right there in the chair. I hadn't slept, you know, up until that point, I think I'd slept like five and a half or six hours for the week. So, yeah. I had, in the course of two days, I had worked upwards of 39 hours and um, slept maybe six. And so I, fa- I passed out in the chair for just a little bit. So anyway, I've slept in the chair downstairs. I've slept in my office chair. I've not been back to the bed. I live, like I said, I live this seasonal existence where if I need, if, if I'm up and I'm running and what I have to do during the day is what I'm doing, I'm awake and I do it all during the day. And then I'll turn around when I need to, to work my overnight shifts and and I do those. And I don't have a good medical or otherwise explanation as to how I am able to pull it off. Um, being single probably helps a lot. But these are not things I could send somebody else to do in my place and be my proxy or my representative or, or say, oh, you go help my dad. So when I'm evaluating whether, you know, and I've, I've thought about that more and more, you know, should I just, you know, just fucking call it a day? <laughs> should I just uh, retire or whatever that would be? give up, you know, pursuing any kind of, uh, any, even the thought of, of how to improve the odds or have a, you know, romantic or, other, or otherwise relationships. You know, I'm doing these things with my quality of life. These things lead to a better quality of life. And I, um... I have virtually no negative stress. Though I've not been able to sleep, and that's probably a health concern. You, know, you don't get enough sleep. You're, you know, you can't be operating vehicles and stuff like that. Have a little coconut rum here for you. I think that it's 
maybe irresponsible. But I try to keep it in check and, and lay down. And sit back in the chair and, you know, uh, maybe tell somebody, hey, hey, um, I was, yeah, I, I'm going to do some writing. And sometimes that's a code word for I need to sit down and see if I can fall asleep or recharge. I could call that my creative time because I'd be spending it in, in lucid dreams. I, mean, I have some crazy dreams whenever I am exhausted to very extreme points like this point in my life. But I don't worry anymore. I haven't worried for a long time. I haven't been scared of anything. You know, I, I think someone said to me once that, you know, well, you know, do you do you know? How do you know? How am I supposed to know? How? What is being ready for a relationship? I would say that being ready for a relationship is you being able to think to yourself that you can be vulnerable and you can meet someone um, almost anywhere that you're reasonable enough to say, hey, if somebody asked me about this situation, I'm able to tell them whether or not I can discuss it, whether I can be what I would consider to be a reasonably stable person when it comes to explaining my actions. You know, there's people I've spoken to who um, say, well, uh, you know, I'm actively dating Okay, what does that mean? You're you're looking, still looking, right? You're still looking to develop new relationships, or you know, even you know, if you were speaking to me and I was a good candidate, you would date me. Yeah, you're dating other people though. Yeah, so dating is it means. No, that's not what that is. Because I'm on a basketball team and I practice, does that mean I just practice with any team? And I gave an example like that. And what I got back was, oh, you're just you, you're not seeing it the right way. And I said, I am. Do you go to two different classes for the same subject? No. In one professor, one vision, to one destination. If you're dating people, what is the purpose? You're supposed to be dating with purpose, but you know where are you going if you're just dating seven people? Well, I mean, I hope that we all kind of, they stay in my life and I stay in their life because some people are available on uh, these nights and somebody else is available like another night. And I just thought, this is the most gruesome thing I've ever seen. There's no sacrifice to that. You're just using people for convenience. They don't hold... Any value. That's not an investment. Oh, you just don't. I obviously do. When I'm seeing it fourth dimensionally for what it is, and and you look at it from a high potential kind of standpoint where, you know, here's this person that you are interested in. Okay, are they the best candidate? Okay, well then pursue them and make that your your deal. You have 17 retirement accounts you're putting all your fucking money into. How many cars are you driving? Well, just the one. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I mean, what What do you think the result of dating a variety of people could be? 
You never have to work through any trouble. You can just cycle to the next person. It's like shuffling a playlist. There's no investment in that. There's no sacrifice. There's no risk versus reward or anything. It's a ridiculous way to be. Oh, no, no, it feels good. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. If you take a series of different drugs, they could all feel good. It doesn't make any of them a good choice. If I'm, I'm looking at how you make decisions, you know, I, where would you like this to eventually end up? What are your goals? Well, I don't really have any goals, you know. Okay. So you'd never be exclusive with anybody. Well, you know, if I dated people and after two or three months feelings develop and, you know, then that's a goal. That's a pot, one of the many possibilities. But if you're not looking at it that way, you're not gearing and, and preparing for that sort of thing. You're not dedicating yourself to one person. It's like you're out of the blue. Something's going to happen and you're going to be like, oh, that that's the guy. He saved my life. Whatever, whatever. And you're just, you know. But if you're one of these folks who is, is confused by modern technology, which is what it is, you'll never be able to truly invest in anybody and have a good family dynamic. You might wonder if that conversation came to a conclusion. Well, it did. Sort of. It concluded all right. Um, <laughs> I said, um, you have a child you're trying to raise. And you're like, oh, don't you? You're not allowed to bring up my child. And I said, all right. Anybody has a child. doesn't have to be yours. You don't have to be selfish or blind or anything else that's, you know, just this rageful kind of silliness. Family dynamics work out to the best one way. One man, one woman, one vision, one family, one household. That's what you're gearing towards. That's what you would want for your children. Should want for your children because that's the best possible recipe for their success. Would you want to have different people revolving around? Or you have different people in your life and nobody there is no father figure for the kid there's just your rolodex of you know romantic encounters does that seem selfish you don't have the investment the commitment the future with any one person so you don't introduce them and you don't have any one solid Foundation that your future is um, rooted with to then form this philosophy, this household sort of mission statement and, and direction that you're going to push the, the children into, right? You're just rolling around and rotating through whomever. Then you wonder why children have grown up to have these lack of values for themselves and for others and they feel empty and they don't have all the tools because parents don't develop any of the specialty skills they look at everything like it's a drive-through and it's surface level and everything is a matter of what is convenient at the time 
They don't pursue a relationship where they take leaving, ending the relationship, that kind of thing, uh, off the table and dive in exclusively with one other person and say, this is, we are committed to each other. Let's get through this. Let's fight the battle, right? And then eventually we may win enough battles to win the war. But it's a shame. It's a tragedy. How many people can't even have that conversation? They're just not able to have that conversation. They don't have the... the simple facts of the matter. They don't have the willpower to do it. They're not willing to be accountable to have a conversation like that that lines them up to to force them to be able to make difficult choices that require a lot of effort and and diligence, quite frankly. It's going to put them in the middle of a storm sometimes, and they're going to have to weather the storm. And they don't want to do that. If my favorite store doesn't have it, I'll just buy it from China. And this is how people are. They're creatures of convenience, and they've carried it over into every aspect of their life. And it's it's rough to think that those are members of the same you know parent-teacher organization that you're going to be in, or that they might be someone who's helping coach some club, cheerleading squad, whatever, that your children might be part of. Have you thought about having those kind of, you know, morality and family conversations with the other folks around you? Because they're helping craft and shape the children who are watching how the adults act and the choices they make. I don't like my stepdad. Oh. Yeah. Well, Susie over there, she doesn't have a stepdad. Her mom just, she just has fun. She says, they're not going to let boys tell them what to do. So they just do what they want. And if a guy gets in their way, a guy tries to tell them, they got to behave some kind of way, tries to bring rationalization constructive criticism structure into their life they just say ah that's too much work you're out there's a bunch of other guys who want to get between these legs oh you know what a shame because you have folks out there in the world who have written a lot of books and done a lot of science and ted talks and all this abundance of information is out there right at literally your like your fingertips it's sitting on your your hip or wherever you put your phone and people just ignore all the warning signs i mean you see it around you the air quality is this climate change is that they don't care the very things that are choices that shorten their lives and everybody else's. They don't care. Something to think about. Speaking of climate change, let's uh, 
speak to our friends over at Coca-Cola, who are very famous for those beautiful polar bear commercials. We'll be right back. Coke with coffee. We blended Coke with rich coffee for one very good reason. Your afternoon pick-me-up routine needed it. Simple as that. Coke with coffee. And we are back. I, I always love those Coca-Cola commercials. They used to air them even in the movie theaters, um, which I guess they sell Coke at the concession stand. But it was, you know, it was always interesting. You'd have those polar ice caps and, you know, whatever. And the bears are getting together and enjoying a Coke, whatever they might be doing. And then they sold the, the bears, you know, at stores and things as they sell those little, you know, six-pack Coke fridges and things. So... I couldn't help but go get some chocolate ice cream while mm, while they were having the advertisement. So I um, quite enjoy, you know, the ideas that I have in terms of a podcast. And just like I was describing someone, you know, dating multiple people, going nowhere. Now, how does that correlate to the question that I asked about how would a relationship improve your life? Well, if you're dating a bunch of other people, you don't have a relationship. You're only stretching yourself thin, so to speak. You're, you're spreading your possible value across many different places and going nowhere. It doesn't, you, know, you don't have a relationship with any of those people. That's why it's not improving your life. That's why each thing that I have described is not an improvement. So, it's a, it's a rough one. What else is on this list of things to talk about for the episode? It says here, The Cat in the Hat with Anger. Oh, I did notice that. I cannot remember which situation was going on. Whether it was in real life, movie, wherever I saw it. And I thought anger is like those stains that are in the the book. You know, the cat in the hat. And you're angry and you give it to somebody. And then they got to get rid of their anger and they pass it on to somebody. And it's like just moving the stain from the bathtub to the bed sheets to the, you know. It's just strange that nobody recognizes that. It's uh, It's not fun. But I just, I was animated by that thought that, um, <laughs> the cat in the hat, you just keep passing that anger around and you gotta let it go. As my father has begun to say, he said, do like Elsa and just let it go. <laughs> yeah, the next thing on the list is along those same lines. It says, um. What do you bring to the table? Yeah, and I think that's important, whether whatever walk of life you're in. And I've talked about that, you know, almost too many times on this podcast. But you know, if you were going to have uh, development with a new company, a nonprofit, a, a relationship, a partner, someone you want to ask to marry you, what do you bring to the table? You know. It just everybody could be something to somebody. I was looking at this quote that was on the computer next to me. It says, "If they can make penicillin out of moldy bread, then they can make something out of you." That's a whole an old quote from Muhammad Ali. 
Always love Muhammad Ali. If you've never sat down and watched Billy Crystal's um, tributes to Muhammad Ali and things like and Howard, Howard Cosell and things like that, I, I love. There's uh, a movie called The Greatest. There is the, the Rumble in the Jungle movie. There's several things that um, Ali was part of, with boxing and otherwise that I just really respect. But you know his contributions to. America, um, civil disobedience, and you know what he meant to the Vietnam War and so forth is invaluable and irreplaceable. It's, it's priceless, is what I should say. And I always enjoyed that quote from him. Um, what do you bring to the table? Well, you know, you may bring things to the table that you don't know another person values. Just having an extra helping hand. Hey, hey, put your finger right here. Why I tie this knot? Whatever it might be. Um, obviously with relationships, it's more complex and, you know, there's generally there's so much more riding on it, especially if you have a house and a mortgage and a, you're someone's medical proxy, et cetera. You need to be very informed about how to help take care of them and their space and, you know, what they want their legacy to be, what they are hoping to, um, develop in terms of their children and their future, so... I think that there's there's almost no substitute for having someone who is a good listener and and has wonderful aptitude. Uh, they may not agree with your decisions, but as long as they can, you know, um, continue your vision, so to speak, you're in um, you're in good places. My mother, and then need no man. Yeah, I, that was the alternative to almost everything I've said in this podcast. You know, my mother was raised. I always told that story that her father, my grandfather, you know, raised his daughters. And, you know, you don't need anybody. Here's how to do this and this and this and this and this. So you never have to compromise your, your morals or, you know, Settle for something just to be able to have somebody else who can do something for you that you ought to be able to do for yourself. So you're not trading your dignity and so forth away. I think it's very important to approach life that way. I'm telling you, man, that buffalo chicken kind of it stirred up my stomach. And so I went and grabbed this chocolate ice cream and, I mean, just BAM! Settled again. You can hear me, too, because that caffeine's hitting me, like... This podcast might speed up real fast. <laughs> um, stopwatch. I don't quite know what I'm referring to with stopwatch. I know that I ran the stopwatch several times this week to try to say, "Hey, you know, here's what I th- here's how long I think something's going to take," and then I measured it with the stopwatch, and sometimes it was shorter, and sometimes it was longer. Well, that's what she said, but it was one of those things where it was guesswork. Except we started to formulate statistics um, because we started to measure things and then record those experiences. So I think that's important that you, you know, oh, what was the temperature yesterday? Well, look it up for real. You know, find out from somebody. Don't guess. If you have a way to get a direct and accurate answer, go after that. And don't live your life based on, you know, Um, information that, that that lacks validity, 
you don't want to just, you know, assume everything you say is correct. And you need to be able to know whether you're correct in and of yourself and then where you have um, room for improvement or constructive feedback, as some people call that. What else we got on the list? Oh, yeah, there were some of those this week. In the, the barrage of emails that I get, because some people email me and say, hey, I represent so-and-so. They'd like to come on the show and talk about their new book, financial advice, whatever it might be. I also get you know, emails from all these other places, especially the Audubon, the, the newer place that I've donated money to to you know, help preserve aviaries and, and birds, you know, you know, wildlife in flight. It's a good little organization. They sent me a calendar and... You know, well, that's not what makes them a good organization, but they sent me a calendar and some other things. So I, I'm reminded of them because I see those things in my office on my desk. But then they continue to email me all the time and say, here's some birds, and here's bird watching tips, and here's this and this, and oh, by the way, it is the season for giving. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I just gave you some money. So uh, I feel like they are... Um, They're running the risk of wearing out their welcome by sending the, the, the you know, here's our feel-good email, and here's what you could be doing to enjoy the buds. Okay. But remember the old saying, it's for the birds. That was when something was, you know, no good. You throw the breadcrumbs to the birds, whatever. You discard them, and it's, it's you know, the birds get the trash. I don't mind their emails or their helpful hints or tips or whatever. It's kind of like a farmer's almanac for watching, you know, anything that flies. But then they start mixing in this, oh, is Labor Day's coming up. I'm like, get out of here. I'll give you some money when I feel like it again. Or maybe next year about this time. Don't, 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 uh, I'll be doing that. You're gambling away when I, whether or not I'm going to donate next time, you know. Oh, I like that. Tony Heisch, do not chase the money, chase the vision. The money will end up following you. Um, these are good quotes. I've, I've got the, basically I went to YouTube and punched up inspirational quotes, and then it, I think it's like an hour and 12 minutes long, and it's just rotating here on the screen next to me. But, you know, that's where I look at those things, you know, and the fan mail that was mixed in with some of this stuff, like the, a new Call of Duty, Modern Warfare Three. You know, and they have obviously the the sixty nine ninety nine edition, um, Anthony's favorite, or they have the the elite version or whatever the hundred dollar one is. And so I sent a text out to my son. I was like, "Oh, it's Call of Duty season. Is, is this something you want? Because his birthday falls in September, and it's one of the things that has become a theme in his growing up. Is that every so often Call of Duty games come out around." The time that he's, you know, due for some birthday presents. So I always check in with him. See if he's, he's, you know, he's still enjoying the same thing, son. Are you evolving your interest? <laughs> um, fan mail. I, there was a handful of things that were written in there. Did I, I don't, let's see, did I jot any notes down? Let's get my, I'm reading this by my computer light at 3 a.m. And I write my notes on uh, pieces of paper that came from somewhere else. This one in particular is uh, one of the places who sends me uh, 
changes in policy, and this one says they are announcing home and auto insurance at a discount. So there's all of this crazy fine print on the back of this page while I've written in black over top of it. It's like trying to read the um, the Da Vinci Code over here <clears throat> in the um, in the fan mail. Yeah, that's one of the things that somebody asked me, and I can't remember. What, I didn't write down names with these, but. Um, it, I volunteer. So it, it, the question that was asked was, is that how I balance not having a relationship by giving back to the people? It's reciprocal. Does that replace the exchange of, you know, compassion and fellowship? And, you know, obviously there's not any kind of romantic aspect to it. But is this a way that, you know, you feel good? Um, the same that if someone goes to a convent and nurse goes to, the um, convent and the preacher goes to seminary, um, and and those people are rewarded not through gratification but through uh, acts of service. I I think that's probably a, a valid. Um, and I wrote that person back and told them that I think that's a very valid observation to make. Is a I don't like having people who are that smart in in the audience um, because that's a Quite an intelligent guess uh, is accurate. I I think that that's true. Um, you know, you might need somebody more professional to to analyze that and you know validate that with a PhD or a peer reviewed scientific article. But I think that's a very good way of looking at it because I was just thinking to myself I've re described it just that way it's the opposite language but it's like two negatives make a positive I've I've obviously said and maybe even on the podcast that if I were to have the opportunity to uh, you know pursue something with someone it would have to replace the quality of life that I have in these other activities that I'm involved in and specifically uh, what I do uh, recreationally, nonprofit, the writing, the podcast, that kind of thing. So I absolutely think that it takes the place of uh, romance, and in many ways, it's it's more gratifying. It, and part of that is a more complicated situation when you're jaded by all of the previous experiences that you've had, or you you may not repeat, or hey, I've already done those things, you know. And Doug Stanhope has some very vulgar ways of saying it, but. You know, when a guy gets he gets tired of a woman, he's he's put you in every position. He's you know used every nook and cranny and crevice, and you know he's he's running out of ways to entertain himself. Is a crude way of looking at you know how people objectify one another, and then they hold no value outside of that. If you don't have a relationship, then you explore all the little you know roller coasters in the theme park, and now the the, the park in and of itself doesn't mean anything to you. There's no fresh possibilities if you are a person who has this multi-layered significant other in front of you they possess all kinds of possibilities to evolve in a growing number of directions and so it continues to stimulate you mentally and otherwise because now you have something that you can be interested in, and they're bringing it back, and they're you know you can challenge them and hold them accountable. They can include you, you know, 
set you straight. Maybe that maybe now they're outsmarting you, and you need to go out and get smarter to outsmart them. Especially if you're a couple who partakes in, you know, board games or trivia or things like this against each other. Maybe, you know, uh, I, they call it games of skill when you're at the electronic arcade and gambling for money. It's gambling. But they call it games of skill, right? So you're doing these things and playing online poker, but, you know, you're gambling. And but anyway, can you beat the, the person who is your significant other on a regular basis? They get, Maybe they get better and they beat you, and then you got to get better and, and out-strategize them. So, what, what was the second email? It was, what percentage is real of, of the things that happen on the podcast? Um, I, I don't know anything that's not real. I, there's, there are times I've thought about interjecting some dramatics into the podcast. And uh, we were talking about my Uncle Mark. Um, he would tell you 50 stories and you couldn't tell which ones were true and which ones weren't true, but you were damn sure <laughs> they weren't all true because you just couldn't tell the difference. Uh, I've not ever really approached it that way. I've made a lot of choices to be able to have a story to tell and some of them I won't tell, but um, it's all real. Um, I, 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 you know, you change the names to protect the innocent and you know avoid... Anybody being subject to any kind of negativity, I think that's important. You don't, you know, I don't, I don't do the podcast so that somebody can feel inferior. And it, as uh, you know, and that, that quote's not on the screen, but that's the that's an old Eleanor Roosevelt quote too, right? I've said that many times on podcasts. You can't feel inferior without your consent, so to speak. Um, what does a relationship improve? Oh, okay, so I did actually conduce how would a relationship improve my life to what does a relationship improve? And that's a universal series of questions right there. That relationship, it improves your working environment, your home life, everything. So that's, I like the way that that's written. How does, what does a relationship improve? Because it, it improves your ability to make a better living and have a better team and feel secure and safe and welcome at your workplace. That's equally true. It's your favorite restaurant. You have a relationship with the waitress, the staff, the owner. The, you're a regular. Now they treat you better, and you treat them better, and word of mouth, and you help their business grow, and they continue to treat you like a person who has a second home there. And obviously, I've, I've explored the other aspects of a romantic relationship earlier in this um, episode. Um, I, what was the other question somebody had sent in oh that in that I, I covered that a little bit earlier but it's what do you think of folks who are trying to cycle back around to the 19 you know I call it 1905 but these the, the earlier or part of the last century um dynamic of a man doing this and a woman not working and my answer to them was pretty economical is is the theme of it you and i 
you know, you get together with somebody who makes a really good living enough for two people. Like you, could, you maybe could have that, or you could live a substandard quality of life where you don't need as much, or somebody farms to make up for the money you don't make, or something. The um, motivation behind me speaking from that point of view or from that opinion is that you, in a modern economy, people are just generally not paid enough that they can run. Um, their own household and and then take care of multiple children or another adult based on that one income. It's it's very difficult in modern circumstances to be able to have a, a one income two person household. It's just the financial compensation that is out there is just on average not enough to, to be able to make that happen and to be able to live life comfortably or otherwise. You could do it if you sacrifice enough, but it doesn't make any sense why the other person wouldn't just go out and have a part-time job or whatever and then make the quality of life significantly, exponentially increase. So I think that's because without... Uh, I don't know what arguments you could have for it. I, I could. I got ready to say it goes without objection, but obviously somebody will inevitably find some way to, to be unhappy with that and say, oh, no. Well, it, it's a mathematical thing. It's an economical thing. It's a quality of life thing. So if you could lay that out on the table and tell me how that's better for both people, then by all means, I just don't see that happening. When you increase the pool of resources for two people, you make the quality of life better you improve um their level of healthy stress you eliminate most of their negative stress i mean that those resources mean everything and the old adage being you know oh money can't buy you happiness well you don't buy happiness but if you have um a level of financial security you're more prone to be happy and have some level of peacefulness this some kind of serenity that you may not have in a different way, in a different light. If you were earning less, many of those people are very unhappy. They have shorter lifespans, et cetera, et cetera. If that's not true, then you figure out the correlation between people who are impoverished and living below the poverty line, the ones who can't text me, and the ones who uh, are of more... disposable income and, and higher means... Because people who are living um, at the bottom of the economic levels live to a shorter lifespan. They have more health problems. There's just everything about their life is generally um, a greater gamble than when you have better resources. And that's just how it is. No, that's not true. People in third world countries live just as long. No, they don't. And their disease and love, their birth rates and everything else are the hygienic aspects of their community, the cleanliness of their hospitals and stuff like that is just is a completely different world. It's things that the world health, um, the WHO, the World Health Organization is, you know, attempting to try to level out with different coachings and programs. And I was watching a TED talk from Atul Gawande. That's A T U L. A-T-U-L, four letters. Gawande is G-A-W-A-N-D-E. And he um, 
well, he's a phenomenal man who's been a professor several places, a staff writer for the New Yorker. He's been a private, well, and a public physician in, in Boston for many years, and now he's heading his, his own company. His, I can't remember the name of the labs company that he uh, has helped to come up with these protocols to help people in third world countries in India. He's an Indian. Um, by Is it going to ancestry? I was going to try to come up with some other word. But his ancestry goes back to India. And, and so he was spent a lot of time trying to make sure that those people have better knowledge, that they have better um, medical equipment and supplies, complete setups in, let's say, an operating room where they're going to deliver a baby instead of just winging it, reusing old, reusing old latex gloves, having cloths and things at the hospital. They have not gone through a linen service. They've got old blood on them, and then they touch new people, things of that nature. And so, his, anyway, his TED Talk was about coaching, and it was, it was a really interesting piece. I enjoyed. Uh, I don't normally do anything like that on this podcast. I would tell you to go out and just punch it in. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I found it on <clears throat> Spotify and added it to a playlist. Uh, but you can see it on uh, the TED Talk website and, and other places. So, Atul Gawande. Uh, and look at, just punch it in and put coaching. I think it's a 16 minute video. It's very interesting. If you watch the, the TED Talk, he's got slides he shows as well that go along with it. So, I would encourage you to sit down and turn everything off and just enjoy that for a few minutes. He speaks well. He's an excellent writer. He's an amazing author. He has, um, his, my favorite book he's written is called Being Mortal. And part of that is a discussion about the quality of life that old people have, that you're keeping people along and, and alive way past what is practical that their quality of life significantly drops off. You're just, you're keeping these people alive, but it, it's for sentimentality reasons. Many people don't enjoy being alive into their late 90s and things of that nature. They, they wish that they'd peaked out and, and called it a day a little bit earlier, quit while they were ahead, so to speak. A lot of folks have been interviewed like that. That's why there's a lot of laws in places across the North West, the Pacific Northwest, you know, Oregon, and these folks who have the assisted, or I, I'm not, I'm going to mess the terminology up, but Dr. Kevorkian years ago was prosecuted for his helping people have a quicker death. They wanted to die, he helped them die, et cetera, et cetera. It was more humane, whatever that might have been, right? And now they have these assisted suicide sort of um, forgiveness things that you can't charge somebody for helping somebody meet their own end uh, if it was their idea. And I'm sure I don't know much about it. I I can only imagine that in a bureaucratic nation like we have, you have to sign a bunch of forms and swear on fifteen Bibles and this that and the other. But um, I I don't quite know. Uh, the, the specifics of it beyond they've decriminalized it like where people have made marijuana legal and things of that nature so we will be right back after another word from our sponsors and wrap up 
the final chapter of this episode of Michael L. Craver Presents. And Doug. And now, for their service to the community, we present Limu Emu and Doug with this key to the city. It's an honor to tell you that Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance so you only pay for what you need. And now, we need to get back to work. Only pay for what you need. Liberty, 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 Liberty. I will love that song forever and ever and ever. For more than 30 years, I've known it as either, many people know it as the the Florida State Seminoles fighting song, but I was introduced to it during the playoffs. I was nine, ten years old um, when the Atlanta Braves were taking on the Pittsburgh Pirates in these amazing uh, encounters that we watched on the family fishing trip in October. Um, now they have, it's a little longer because they have the wild card series and they've changed the, the divisions and the length of the season and playoffs and everything with baseball. But, you know, the, the rally would start happening and everybody in the crowd's got the arm up 90 degrees, just tomahawk chopping. And that's just, it's, it holds a special place um, for me, but I've always been a sports minded kind of person. And so, uh, I think that it's important uh, to have structure and, and sports provide an, a competitive thing. Maybe that's where I get most of my fire from or otherwise is from a history of playing sports and wrestling and professional wrestling and, you know, following things. But what I've always found, you know, to be the thing is that guy who hits the last second shot or whatever sitting right over top of this computer monitor is a, Black and white, and the only thing that's in, in color is Jordan, and he's firing the. It's called the shot, you know. It's where Jordan um, beat the the Cavs. And I've played that clip on this podcast. If you're not familiar, you ought to go give it a look. Uh, you know, fades it right across, and nails the shot, throws some fists in the air. You know, there's nothing like that. And it's kind of like the guy at the last minute coming back and hitting, you know, the rock catches him and boom, rock bottom. One, two, three, and everybody celebrates because he's slayed the dragon, the villain, the dramatic music plays when it happens in a movie, whether it's medieval times or, you know, they catch the bank robber or whatever it is. Um, It's been a theme and it's part of drama. But if you can... 
juxtapose that across your life and have these rallying points. Like, I can tell you that on those nights where I was uh, working so many hours and so long and so hard, I was... They called him Eli Drake other places. Now he's known as L.A. Knight. And if you're a wrestling fan, you know who L.A. Knight is. And if you... I don't know if it's the same voice or if it's the, the voice box and somebody's using it and it sounds similar, but... L.A. Knight's music says, um, I want to see you dancing, but it's got that Peter Frampton kind of, I can't duplicate it. It's the electronic kind of thing. And it's the same voice that's in the, it seems to me it is, uh, that's in the California Love videos uh, from Tupac and and Dr. Dre. California Love! You know, uh, but it's that same, I want to see you dancing. And then, and then it just kicks into this, you know, heavy hitting, lots of drums and techno, and it's it's great. It's great. It fits him. It, you know, it looks like it was composed for him. Uh, so he walks and he comes out and he does his thing and he tells the crowd who he is and how it's gonna be, and that's what he does. And he backs it up, you know. And it, you know, you can argue that it's part of the show and the script and whatever, but obviously he's part of that world and believes. Uh, in the the method acting and the character he's doing, as much as someone like Heath Ledger, who was very like in stated in character, you know, to be the Joker, and Andy Kaufman being played by Jim Carrey, who, you know, they say, you know, was very much one thousand percent Andy Kaufman all the way through the filming of the movie. I'm a huge fan of that. I didn't know about any of that stuff until later, but it mirrors a lot of things about my life and my principles, philosophy, behaviors, whatever. So there's a second movie that includes a lot of the footage of, of Jim Carrey behind the scenes and otherwise called Andy and Jim. And it's, I fucking, I love it. I love it. And um, Man on the Moon is the name of the 1999 movie where Carrey is, is in there with um, I'm 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 not going to be able to tell you his name, um, but I know he's in Margin Call and Billionaires and and all this other stuff. Um, anyway, his his co-star that plays Bob Zamuda, the writer of um, Andy Kaufman's appearances, and he was you know affiliated with him, swapping out with him as Tony Clifton and stuff like that. Those guys lived this very peculiar sort of duo existence of keeping up um, the the magic you know forever you know teller of pen and teller doesn't talk well he can but he doesn't talk as part of the act and he lives that out that way and some people as they've accused Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan or some of these people in, in life have become you know the character there is no whoever that guy was is not there anymore they are you know, woo, and he's he's Ric Flair. He's going to party and drink and do whatever until he dies. Um, but it's just, um, it's different uh, to see, you know, those. I always grew up on the things that have two people in them. I, I like Die Hard and stuff where it's one character and he's the, you know, the real vengeful um, vigilante or he's kind of a... And, unsavory character who's still going to save the day, right? you got Rambo, uh, probably my favorite movies. But 
when you have the dynamic of a second person, because I asked that earlier, I said, you know, how does a relationship improve my life? Well, for people like Leon, my favorite movie, Leon, The Professional, 1994, by Luke Beeson, Natalie Portman, and Jean Reno, right? Um, if you don't have the other person, you don't have that that dynamic. Can't build a bridge from one side to nowhere. So, you know, if you love those things, like, you know, I grew up on Lethal Weapon, and people love Turner and Hooch with Tom Hanks and Hooch. You you see the other things that are the silly dynamics of something like The Other Guys with Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. Still a great movie. Funny movie. But when you watch Step Brothers, you have John Riley and Will Ferrell. You know, there's, what do you say, right? The same guys from Talladega Nights. Shake and bake, you know. And those things are just, they're wicked. But I have, you know, there's a couple of guys in my life who's, who kind of are the other side of that buddy comedy, at least in dialogue and in, in thought. I mean, the humor aspect of it, you know, there's just this mutual kind of respect for each other's time and intellect and how opposite we are. We like different things. We bust each other's balls. We give each other good feedback. We provide sometimes the missing pieces to what would be um you know this flawless argument that i've got here you need to hear this man and they're like that sounds it you're ignoring this giant you know gap in your logic oh well i'm glad you helped me with that you know so that's important that's how those relationships improve your life it doesn't have to just be confined to the idea behind what would be a romantic partnership as the only possibility of a relationship. When you have a great working relationship with your boss, it enables you to learn more and enhance your quality of life, your wealth perhaps, and your career trajectory can vastly improve and take you to places that you would not have been able to go otherwise. And I think it's important that when you look at those things and you try, if you were to argue and say, you know what, I I think a relationship is, Michael, you're going about it all wrong. And the old quote is, you go faster alone, you go farther together. Well, you know, there's plenty of movies where there's some guy and he's, you know, he's the dead weight and they cut him loose and, you know, that that's going to be the end of the the relationship because that person's holding the other person back. The butterfly effect and the guardian and um, the day after tomorrow. There's so many things where you know somebody's just too heavy for the other person and they're gonna sacrifice themselves so that the other person can can go on. Um, that's not exactly how it happens in the Lion King. I think it's. Um, is it Mufasa that throws? Who's, I don't. I don't remember the characters. But um, Simba's dad is, um, you know, right off the cliff. Um, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. This other one is <laughs> is not where there's a homicide. It's where somebody basically, you know, 
took themselves out of the equation. And it doesn't have to be like they, you know, became an hero or suicided themselves or something. But they certainly stepped out of the way of somebody else being able to find their happiness and their greater potential uh, being able to be realized. You know, I've I've been in those situations. You know, you dated somebody who relied on, you know, related to me and relied on me too much. And, you know, it was kind of like, oh, and thought, well, I was going to be the means to their best end. And I thought, no, they really need to be able to find a way, uh, you know, and, and as many chances as I've put in front of them. But I don't have to supplement you. That's an option, but you take away the safety net, and maybe you'll see, you know, you throw the bird out of the nest, and it's, well, in that case, it's kind of like fly or die, rather than fight or flight, um, sink or swim, that kind of thing. It's it's part of who I am, you know, and if that person was to have, you know, vastly improved themselves and all of these things, I probably would have had a whole new respect for them and maybe reapproached how to have a future or a possible um, reconciliation of, of the previous relationship. <clears throat> but my instincts have always been pretty dead on in those situations, and it never happened, and I didn't foresee, forecast, or otherwise it was going to happen. It just, it, it never occurred to me that that was a real possibility, and that's why I terminated the relationship anyway, because... We had um, run out of oxygen, so to speak, and we're breathing carbon dioxide, and, and inevitably we're going to. So we're going to open a window, or which metaphorically we're going to open the window means that I'm, I'm out of here. And as I'm heading out the window, fresh air will come back in, and you know I'll be over here and you'll be over there, but we'll both be better people. At least that's the the idea behind it. Now, some people don't ever do anything with that opportunity. They just don't. They, they're they part of a, a meaningful program, an AP class, a beneficiary of someone who's a consultant or some other lucrative kind of advice, and they don't know what to do with it, or they don't plan to do anything with it. Some circumstance in their life present, prevents them from being motivated or having the availability whether it's time-wise, whether it's um, work ethic, whatever it might be, from being able to see those things through to a potentially paradise-like outcome. I mean, there's, there's so many things that I think people are just so close to success when they quit and they don't realize how close they were. They almost made it, but they didn't realize that. They looked at it as a failure. They turned right around. Oh, this is like The Mist. You ever seen Stephen King's The Mist? Thomas Jane, Andre Brower, all those good folks. It's a great movie. And 
you know, if you hadn't seen The Mist, and this will spoil it for you, if you have, and you should have now, it's about 15 years old, I'm going to start just telling the results of everything that's more than a decade old. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's new to you. Well, I'm still going to tell you. They try to drive out of The Mist, because there's creatures or whatever in The Mist. Make it as far as the gas tank will take them. They're not out of the mist. And there's, what, five bullets in the gun and six people in the car, however it works. So the guy shoots the other five people, and then he can't die. And as he goes to get out of the car and sacrifice himself to the creatures in the mist, the army's coming through, and they, they're they wiping all the mist away. <laughs> and he's going to survive now. And so would everyone else in his car They'd have all survived if they'd have waited 10 minutes. But he blew them all away, and now he's got to live with it. And that's a common theme in Stephen King movies, right? That the, Tom Hanks is the jailer, and he lets um, John Coffey ride the lightning, and, and then Tom Hanks is cursed. He lives this very long life to see his wife and everybody else die before him. And he thinks it's he's lived so long because he's being punished by God for letting a miracle of God, John Henry, ride the lightning. And I, I felt, you know, a, a very similar way in a lot of things where I've I've been a person who's been part of a situation where, you know, I helped I helped somebody get this far and that far and then, oh, it fizzled out. Because I was propping the situation up, and I stepped back and said, look, I I need to see you succeed without me. I need to know you can make it. And um, I don't I don't know how to describe it. There's so many times where somebody's done something against, you know, had terrible thoughts or nasty words for me or whatever and I just consider that to be karma I guess or I've said I believe in justice and you run up against situations where you're like oh my god I dodged I dodged a bullet well I mean there's something about people who were relying on you and then they make perhaps um, disastrous decisions uh, because they don't have you to prop them up so they have to gamble and wager one way versus the other you know, is that blinding one way or another going to get you, get you, get you. Um, they, they have to, to make a decision. And one of those decisions, if not both, could be a winner. But because you're not there to help with resources or holding them up or keeping them steady or whatever you do, they fail. And then they blame you more. And then there's even worse tension everything about whatever situation you had, whatever friendship or possible uh, respect for each other, all that stuff is just wiped clean. It's gone. They envy you. They're hateful. You know, they just look at you with this ugliness that you're the cause of all this because you're not holding them up and they decided they would take a few steps and fell on their face. It's your fault that they can't walk on their own. And then obviously there's folks who are in you know the shoes that I've been in. And they're like, no, you ought to be able to walk on your own. Why am I propping you up?
Why do you need me to prop you up? And that's a difficult thing because most people are just not going to admit that they need somebody to be able to prop them up or be their um, financial backer or you're the person who makes all these you know, possible dreams come true because you provide something they'll never be able to do for themselves. I understand part of that, especially if there's two incomes versus one or whatever. But, you know, the reality of my situation is that I look at it and say, you know, when you have two people and you want to go farther, so to speak, you have to genuinely respect and value what the other person has to say or you got to be able to completely tune them out. You can't halfway do any of that. Lewis Black has a funny joke. He says, you know, he's ridden in the car with his parents as they've gotten, you know, significantly older, into their 80s. And he said, the reason that they've been married for 60 years is because neither one of them has heard a damn word the other one said. They just, you know, go home with their day, even though they feel completely different about a lot of subjects. I wonder if my grandparents aren't sometimes the same way. But I, um... I mean, if you don't listen, it's hard to argue that you value the other person if you don't really know, you know, what they're saying, how they feel, et cetera, et cetera. It's convenient to just not listen and do it your own way, and you know, both of you will just not listen, and you'll just you did. But often, the um, complexity involved in that is you have to be willing to be in a relationship where you're not willing to leave, even if you're not listening to them. And you're completely loyal and dedicated to them without regard, right? You're um, unconditionally going to love them. That is beyond rare in today's world. And the relationship like that I have with some of the people from my past who are like my comedy duo, you know, action buddy, you know, kind of we'll always be able to send each other jokes and have the inside language and the funny references and you know we, it, that'll never go away it's one of the things i love about my life you say oh how would a relationship improve my life here you know here's person x in front of me what would it possibly do for me to have a relationship well i'll say you know i can listen to oasis all night long I don't do it every night, but I, I I listen to some Oasis songs every night that I'm working or otherwise. And when I, I can, oh, I've got cold chills right now. It's not playing or nothing. But when, when Live Forever starts to kick up and start rolling, when Champagne Supernova is, oh, do you know what I mean? Gas panic. Soldier on. There's a bunch of anthems by Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds that you know it just those things start. Oh man, it's it is euphoric the way that I feel. It's as good as anything I've ever felt in terms of a roller coaster, romantically or otherwise. It doesn't mean that people weren't doing their jobs or this and that and the other. I am diversified that way 
So of all the wonderful reasons that I can give you to have a partnership and a relationship, it, from a resource perspective, there's, it's irreplaceable. That's where you would take the, as far as I'm concerned, that's where you would take the argument. If it's from any other you know, thing about being able to feel good and this and that, I'd say you need to learn how to journal. I recommend getting a microphone and dictating or podcasting or something. Um, and quite frankly, I explore whatever your interest is in terms of comedy, music, something audible, because those things go in your ears and they're like, oh, it is it's a whole different way to electrify your nervous system. So I'm going to find me a song. We're going to put it in the closing outro here. And um, I hope that you guys have an amazing weekend um, from me to you. And I'll see you on the next episode of Michael L. Graver Presents. i